some other ancillary uh, um, ad hoc uh, uh, things for, for the uh, for the uh, tenants of the building. So with with that said, I think there's you know uh, we have a corporate struggle, and then like I said, it really turns down to me finding a middle ground between what you know corporate, what I'm directed to do, and then what my client, the producers, want in the field. So with that, I'll turn I'll turn the first question over to um, Susan. I'll direct it to really to Susan. Uh, you know what amenities are you seeing? Uh, that the tenants are expecting that the landlords provide um, at, at some of your properties? I, I think I've seen uh, two waves of them. Uh, AMA Plaza, I would uh, put that in the first wave. The very minimum that uh, was required by the tenants was a fitness center, uh, food service, and conference facilities. And then just to bring in the technology piece of it, uh, a distributed antenna system or cell phone use was also very important. So um, when uh, we had a tremendous amount of vacancy in between 2010, 2012, and I, uh, those, uh, uh, constructing those facilities in the building helped us to go from 50% occupied to 95% occupied during that period of time. So those were the minimum that were required by uh, the tenants that were looking at our building. And um, I think the second wave is you're getting into more of the rooftop uh, deck uh, facilities and uh, game rooms and you know, bars and, and meeting place, other types of unique meeting places. And uh, those types of facilities, I think, are constricted by the construction of the building. You know, like our roof is on the 52nd floor. It's hard to have a rooftop deck up there. But uh, we have a, a, a large plaza, which uh, uh, also uh, we can use as an outside area. Um, so, and also by the vacancy. If there's no vacancy, it's hard to build out uh, additional amenities. And are you, how are you tracking like usage of it? Is it, so is it, uh, is it a clawback from, you know, are you seeing that one tenant may, may, you know, use it majority of the time and, you know, another tenant's not, you know, using it and are you seeing some, you know, you know, return on the investments to these amenities that, that you're bringing into the building? Right, well, using the, the fitness center as an example and it's all card access so that's easily tracked. And about 25% of the, the tenants' uh, employees have uh, signed waivers for that. And it's free, by the way, to the tenants. And um, about 10% uh, of those actually use it. Uh, so it, it comes out about 2% of the building that, that use the fitness center. Uh, the conference room is, uh, is used almost 100% of the time. I would say one tenant uses it 70%. OK. You want to? Add anything to that, uh, Bob? <laughs> um, I don't know. We were talking the other night about uh, you know the amenity wave, and um, there's so much in in our business that we see on our side is driven by a herd. Uh, you know, it's typically leasing brokers who you know have the audience with uh, the investors and the owners, and um, it's it's pretty much when I started this business 35 years ago. It was still an important topic then, you know, to have the food service, to have amenities, to try to differentiate yourself from your competition. And that's always been the game in real estate. How do we, you know, have a nice looking lobby, appealing building? Um, I think it's on steroids today. Uh, the cost uh, to provide these amenities is getting just outrageous. Um, and for the most part, I think the jury is out as to whether or not it really affects the uh, you know the the 
rent that you can, you know, achieve in a building. Certainly, uh, it, it helps you, you know, narrow down the cut, you know, when your prospects are looking for space. But it's certainly, uh, and it's like anything else, it's just competitive environment. I mean, we learn a lot from, you know, residential, putting in just great amenities that attract people. We get ideas from there, and you know, we go to Las Vegas and see cool things or whatever. I think it's just ideas and putting things into the buildings, but for the most part, it's, um, you know, you, you buy a building and, you know, you got to do it because that's what the market says you got to do. Uh, what should we do? And I think we've been going through a whole trial and error period over the last three or four years over, you know, oh, got to do it. Where should we put it? I mean, you know, I think more some of the more successful amenity packages have been those that have incorporated them into a very visible location within their facility, like, you know, one South Wacker when you've got the, the conference center and the playroom, and it, it, you know, it it's really provides a feature. You know, they're the kind of things that you're either all in or just don't do a half-assed job at it. And you have to get the, the owner of the building, you know, involved in it because they're giving up leasable space right. for these amenities. So there's a, there's a trade-off there. And I was just, I was actually gonna lead into, is that a deal breaker? Have you seen that you've lost, you know, a tenant that you've gone, you know, that's toward the space and then, you know, you don't, you don't offer something that another building does offer and, you know, are we seeing that that you know these higher end amenities? You know, if the tenants are demanding it and you don't, you can't provide it. Is it are you losing deals to it? I haven't seen it yet. Okay. But I, I think it's pretty new. The second wave seems to be in the last yeah. year to eighteen months. So I think the, the value hasn't been assessed yet. Yeah, and, and every building is different. I mean, some buildings are designed to feature plazas and certain you know things that kind of make their building stand out. Um, sometimes buildings get built and certain things get engineered out. Um, but I think there's a mix between, uh, you know, commitments on owners to really do it right and feature it and make it a part of the environment, part of the building, and some building owners who are, you know, well, we just got to do it. And they bite the bullet and maybe they don't actually really put it in location for it. And then kind of turning it over to, you know, the other speakers on the panel, um, seeing that is that, you know, so one thing we noticed when we brought FUDA in was, like I said, we had a retail tenant that was disappointed. That was, you know, something that our landlord had to deal with with that retail tenant. You know, flip side, with the on-demand technology and being able to bring FUDA in, which has been, like I said, was very, has been very successful within our organization, yoga, and, and, and you know, whether it's any on-demand amenity, do you think that's going to be something that, you know, landlords are going to face, you know, a true uh, competition between what they can bring on-demand? Yeah, you know, I mean, the decision makers uh, for these kinds of things, I mean, you know, the property managers and so on, um, there's always, seems to me there's always a disconnect um, between somebody wanting to come in and, and make money in or whatever. We want to have a nice amenity. The bottom line to it all is the value equation. I think, you know, a, a, there are groups like FUDA, uh, from what I've learned, you know, just recently, I mean, it's a... It's a great amenity if you don't have food in your building. It's something different. Um, you know, reaches out to your tenants. I mean, tenants like it, and it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, it kind of gets around the monotonous, same old, same old of, you know, the little obligatory deli that you stick into the building. Um, you know, so I think more and more service providers are, you know, evolving and understanding what... Um, what it takes to do business with uh, you know property owners and managers who you know we don't want to pay for anything we want it for nothing and we want the best 
Um, and you know, so they have to figure out different ways to um, generate some revenue for you know providing their services. And then we, in turn, you know, like to you know create that opportunity for them, so long as we can ensure there's quality and that you know our tenants are not going to be um, disrupted or uh, not served well. I'll turn it over to you guys, Alex. I mean, and how have you seen your interaction with landlords? Have you seen any you know pushback from when you're you're going into these buildings? Yeah, I think um, I don't know if it was Susan or Rob said you know, every building is a little bit different, um, and their needs and and uh, what they're looking for um, is different. I think um, that's what we've really tried to focus on as an organization. We see that you know whether it's a company um, or one of our corporate partners or whether it's uh, a building. Um, their needs are different from client to client, from building to building, and so trying to create a solution that's flexible um, and can leverage, you know, whether the space constraints or um, the different, you know, the different things. So what, what we seem to see from from landlords is um, that that initial wave of thinking, hey, what's your what is your solution? Um, what what do you have? Can you show me kind of you know a one page that shows me what it looks like, um, and not kind of understanding that we. You know what it really comes down to is us sitting down with a whether it's a business or a, or a, a building, and saying what are your needs and let's come up with a solution that works you know for everybody uh, and create a mutually beneficial relationship and I think that's you know the, the first kind of hurdle uh, that we see when we're starting to talk with uh, different landlords in business or property management um, you know the aesthetic and the, the the size and scope of the of the amenity is really a function of the opportunity and the the budget that's available on, on both sides, what, what people are looking for. And usually are you setting up in a, in a, in a dedicated common area for within a building for FUDA or for for you for the, the yoga, uh, for, you, for your uh, company as well? Yeah, it definitely depends. So you know, talking about roadblocks, money that's required to set up certain systems to have a wellness program. When we set out to teach corporate yoga and meditation, we definitely saw that as a hurdle that we didn't necessarily want people to have to jump over in order to bring these services into their companies. So um, in order to deal with that, we actually created programs where you don't have to change clothes, you don't need any sort of equipment. Uh, meditation and yoga are usually actually done in conference rooms. So there's absolutely zero overhead in these programs. So you don't, you don't need a fitness center, you don't need any sort of equipment, uh, you don't even really need a dedicated space. People can do it within their, their own conference rooms within an office building, or you can have sort of a common area with just a, a, a whole bunch of chairs, really, is all that we really need. So we found that that's been a really good way to overcome some of those challenges and make it a little bit easier and also customizable for each company. So it's not, it sounds like kind of back to what Bob mentioned, is that we're in this period of trying to figure out who's providing and whether it's going to be a landlord-provided amenity or whether it's going to be with space. Yes. Right. Yeah, and just at, at the, our building, we have a couple of tenants that have food to come in, yep. um, and uh, that the tenants subsidize the, the cafe, so they're kind of taken away from their their operating expenses a little bit, but that's what they're... they're um, employees are requesting and requiring, and it keeps them in the space working. Uh, we talked so about it, that. It, it provides an advantage. Well. well, and that's, you know, leading into, I guess, an, an, another open question about, you know, what's being offered in, in the downtown CBD buildings versus the suburban buildings. So, you know, we're headquartered in uh, the suburbs. Mm -hmm. One thing when we thought about FUDA was we really had one option. And then it, with, without going to that one option, that got a little stale, like, like a... Bob mentioned, uh, you know, the same deli. You know, everyone would have to get in their car. Mm -hmm. And I think food has been, you know, 
primarily well received because you can just you know grab you grab what you want, come back to your desk and work at your desk, and there's not a lot of disruption uh, your day. Are you guys really? This is for more more question for the the whole panel. You've seen demand different between what the buildings downtown and what's being offered in, in the suburban buildings. That difference between the two. Sure. Um, I'm not noticing that the both areas are actually requesting meditation and yoga pretty consistently. Um, and it's actually interesting. We've just started to incorporate webinars into our training programs. So if companies do have offices in the city and then they've got branches off in the burbs or in other cities altogether, actually, uh, we're able to loop everybody in together and kind of have a group class or a group presentation. Um, but I do think that it's nice for the people in the suburbs. Um, you know, there's not really a lot of places to go. You can't, you can't leave your office and go for a walk around the block or go find different great places to eat. So having a nice break, like a yoga and a meditation session, usually is um, very appealing to people. We, we haven't seen uh, a dramatic change in demand, whether it's in the suburb, uh, suburbs or in the downtown center. Um, a little bit different motivations, you know, between the different groups, but kind of equals the, um, the same result. I think um, a thing that, you know, we found interesting, more so with um, our relationships with, you know, uh, property managers and buildings and our corporate partners, you, you know, I think, Rob, you kind of mentioned this herd mentality or, the, you know, this kind of these waves of amenities. Um, I think a lot of buildings that we're talking to are nervous that, um, you know, they're going to spend a bunch of money uh, to revamp, redo, you know, an amenity center, all these different things. And then by the time they're done and they get there, everything's changed and they've made this huge investment and there's a whole new wave of things that everybody's looking for to, to, to differentiate with. And so that's been, I think, um, a challenge that, you know, we've seen just in our conversations with folks across the city and across the different markets we're in. It seems like every market we're in, that, that seems to be something that's on everybody's mind that by the time I get done with this, you know, what's coming, what's coming behind it and is the thing I already did stale? Um, and uh, so I think that's something we always try to keep in mind and what we're doing just because we, we hear that kind of drumbeat, um, you know, everywhere as we talk to folks. And it's the same with the corporate partners, but they're a little bit different and I think things move a little bit slower for them. So um, Bob and uh, Susan, how, how important is branding these amenities in the buildings uh, as far as when they're, if they're in a shared space or if they're in the lobby? I know. That's a bit. That's important that you kind of have a consistent look with, with within the property. Uh, you know, when you walk into you know Lincoln Properties building, or you know, is each each uh, amenity base is that is it consistent, or do you guys kind of have rules and regs as far as when these vendors you know, come it, in? It's tough because you know every property is owned by someone different that's got to make those decisions, and every building is different, and sometimes you're doing it just to kind of fit it in somewhere. But I think generally the best. Uh, as, I, as I mentioned, the best way to brand it is to try to create amenities that feel like they fit right in with, uh, you know, the use of the building, you know, adjacent to the lobby, and they're not like up on the ninth floor in that vacant space that you can't do anything with. Um, uh, there are some firms out there that have done a really good job, CBRE in particular, in um, putting together a concept where they incorporate a, a management office with a conference center so that they can have somebody in the management office also man the conference center and service it with a concierge. And I see more and more buildings trying to aggregate their amenity areas. Uh, um, the uh, Opera, uh, um, Civic Opera building did a nice job kind of putting them together. I think those tend to be 
the more well received and nicer you can feature them more effectively you know in the in the building and they get the most pop i think um, but the afterthoughts i mean you don't even know they exist and they don't really get much use right yeah i, I agree with bob um that you're constrained by the architecture of the building and right. what you have available and the types of tenants you have even and you know this CBRE example that you use with is mostly the conference centers, which are which are I think there is a real value with conference right. centers and buildings. But we'll give, we'll give Sam and Lisa a little credit. Yeah, but uh, you know, is how much is the game room used? You know, um, and yeah. what other other uh, this sec what I call the second wave of amenities? How much are they used? I don't think we know the value of those yet. We, we've definitely seen as we talk to to buildings and landlords. Um, that have an amenity center that's maybe underutilized and they want, you know, they've made this investment, they wanna, you know, make it more of a destination and they, they view FUDA as a way to, um, to do that. And our experience, you know, uh, has been interesting. You know, one, I think we are uh, uh, an answer for that in some respects, but generally speaking, if the space and, and everything is underutilized, uh, putting us up there doesn't actually create as much buzz as, as a, you know, originally intended. So to your point, Rob, that, I think if you, you go all in and you do it right, um, and it's something that's really well received and you're aggregating all these different services and you create a really nice amenity for everybody, um, those, those seem to work. Uh, but when we've been put into that kind of blank space with a vending machine and some couches and, what, and a couple other things, it's, it's about the same and we end up being moved down to the lobby to, to really provide the amenity and, and get the foot traffic um, that, everybody's, you know, that everybody was looking for. So, um, you know, I'm not on that side of the business, but I, I, it definitely seems to resonate for us because we've tried to be that solution for people and not uh, really seen it take off and, and ultimately see the program change and, and move more to a lobby amenity. Yeah, we have a similar experience with uh, rooftop decks. Sometimes we'll do yoga classes on the rooftop deck or like a sunset meditation, and it's lovely. It's a lovely time, and people really like it but it's not like it brings new life into that space necessarily. Um, it's fun, but I don't know if it really makes enough of a difference to warrant it. And what we actually see is people um, are preferring sort of a more intimate program where they're with people they know, we're doing meditation and yoga in a smaller space, where it's within their culture, within their peers, and that seems to be a better fit for most people. As I say, it's probably bringing life back to some dead space because I think you, you probably get a lot of use of the, you know, requests for conferencing facilities. And outside of FUDA and Unfold, are there any other amenities that you're seeing that some of the tenants are, are demanding? And I'd ask the same uh, uh, from Katie, you and uh, Alex as well. I mean, some of your competition because I see every other day, you know, now there's massage on demand, now there's, you know, dry clean on demand. So it continues to evolve and, you know, <laughs> You know, before you know it, like, I don't, I don't go to Walgreens to buy my blades anymore. They're shipped every month. So, I, you know, everything's coming to me now. And that's how it, see, it seems like the progression of our society is it's all coming to us. So, you know, a big part of our day is at the office. And I know a lot of people want, want those and things I, delivered. And I think that's, that's part of our jobs as property managers to identify those types of services. And, you know, whether tenants are demanding them, I, I don't know. I, don't, I haven't really seen they're demanding massages or, or um, <laughs> manicures. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a service that you provide, and it, you know it's our, and it's our job to try to find those um, that uh, our tenants will 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 like and participate in. I can tell you, as a you know, as a somebody uh, who has a lease with you know relatively small footprint, we're maybe ten or fifteen thousand square feet. But my last company as well, 
the, the, you mentioned this kind of delivering of packages. I mean, so many of our staff, so many of my staff in my last company having all of their things they're buying on Amazon or wherever delivered to the office. It's kind of a mess. Um, you know, whether, you know, for us, um, you know, we don't have a mail room in our office and our building doesn't. And so now, you know, every day I feel like I walk up and right in our front door, there's 27 boxes of people's, you know, toilet paper or whatever they're taking home. Um, and, and we saw that at our last company as well. Um, I think Gecko has a couple hundred thousand square, or hundred thousand square feet of space. Um, so, you know, I think a building that can, can provide, that can start to meet some of that, that, that need, it seems very basic and not very sexy, but just from a tenant side, I think that's been kind of an interesting pain point for myself and, and some of the people I've spoken to, um, where all this stuff goes and, and being able to have a space that's organized and be able to get to it uh, might be kind of interesting for buildings to think about. That, that was to say that brings up a good point, you know, because it's your, your space, but from the from the landlord side, are you seeing more influx of deliveries and, you know, you know, as far as from security and badging people in, you know, Amazon Prime can have, you know, you can order three things and all three can come, not all at once and, you know, at separate times during the day. Are you guys seeing a, you know, flux of activity um, through shipping and receiving um, well, from, from your the, tenants? You know, the UPS or the FedEx guy just comes up and delivers yep. anyway. So yeah, they have more that they're delivering, but it hasn't been an impact. Hasn't, okay. Yeah. We've had a building to put in messenger centers and that, you know, primarily for security so yeah. that they kind of minimize the people who roam around the building. Um, but in terms of, you know, like where are amenities headed, I, you know, it's hard to say, but uh, technology will play a big role in where they're headed. Unfortunately, uh, real estate is archaic. Uh, my axiom is that the real estate industry kind of catches up with what's going on in corporate, you know, business world, you know, 20 years behind the curve. It's because real estate is just such a transaction-oriented business. It's buy the deal, lease the space. You know, when we deal with our vendors and suppliers, it's make the sale. And it's so focused on that. And as we manage the assets, you know, we're just so focused on the base level of services. And, you know, we have to provide the cleaning and we do this and we do that. You know, we don't really focus uh, at all on identifying ways to integrate the supply chain more effectively with all the vendors and suppliers that we work with so that we are now more able to measure performance more effectively, be a little more transparent, perhaps enable some vendors and suppliers to provide services that we never trusted them to do before because they're going to mess with my tenant and I'm going to have a problem. Um, but I think as technology enables us to uh, kind of integrate our goals a little bit more effectively, um, I think that there's the potential for unbundling services a little bit. And you've got a cleaning contractor, they could provide their services differently. They don't have to. It's one of our largest operating expenses. So we're doing a service to the tenant. If perhaps we could get to the day where they clean the tenant's space on a menu of an option of services and the tenant pays them directly and it's unbundled from the recoverable expense in the lease. And now maybe cleaning company has a direct contact and they can begin to provide additional services that are a pain in the butt for the tenants to organize. You know, the coffee service, the, you know, the medicine, you know, all these other things. So I think that we're going to eventually, as technology platforms, they're going to enable us to deliver services in a way that we just haven't thought of today or just can't. But we have to be able to know what our tenants need yeah. in the future, and that's we have to kind of keep one step ahead of them uh, in order to, to serve them properly, get, get away from the traditional base services. 
Yeah, basically tenants, they, they want, you know, good building, clean building, elevators work, bathrooms are clean, you know, you got good uh, airflow in the space. I mean, I mean, those are the really important things. You know, we do a lot of surveys with tenants and, you know, those are the big things. You know, you ask them about particular amenities and it's like, eh, you know, nice, good. I will, I, I will say, I mean, <clears throat> In the absence of those things being there, it is interesting. I mean, uh, my, the building I was in before we moved, you know, there was an influx of tenants, and, and the elevators were just always, you know, jammed up, and it sounds so small and little, and it's not. So you know, the amenity thing goes away really quick, and you're just kind of pissed about the elevator wait every morning. Um, and it's a great building. I love the building, um, but um, I know that that was a challenge for them for a period of time, and. So all of the stuff, whether it's FUDA or other ancillary services that you might provide, goes away very quickly as a, as a user. You know, I don't think about any of that. I think about, you know, it just takes too long to get up to the seventh floor. It's kind of ridiculous. So I, I agree that, you know, the core is still that you're providing this base level service. Yeah. You know, and concierges and extra services like that, you know, it's, it's very helpful. But um, even some of that... To the extent we can establish the kind of partnerships with service providers that now open up new services that we have a good feeling, you know, as you know, as the operators of the building that they're going to provide a good service. But that's where it breaks down because we're not always assured that they're going to do a good job or they're going to, mm -hmm. um, you know, add value to to our tenants. Yeah, and you've got to get the tenants or the prospects to the building. So right. you know whether the the amenity draw. Is, is there or not, but if, if it's in the market that your elevators aren't working or, or that you know, tenants or your HVAC is not working properly, then you're not gonna get into your building either. You mentioned unbundling amenity services and something that we've explored recently is having a very low per class rate for tenants to pay if they would like to attend a meditation class or a lunch and learn seminar, for example. And then the property would then either match it or match a certain amount. Um, it does kind of add a little bit of a hurdle that sometimes is not worth it, but it also allows people to show that they're interested and it allows there to be a little bit of responsibility on both ends to get people to participate. So that's something new we've been exploring. Understood. So kind of wrapping it up and kind of are leading it into technology, I'll open up to the panel of both sides of the, of the, of the table, but you know, what, what technologies, and I think this is a more of a crystal ball question, but what technologies do you think will have an impact on the buildings and the services you provide, you provide and the buildings in the future as technology continues to evolve? Well, I mean, one thing where, um, uh, you know, distributed you know, antenna systems uh, is becoming very popular. You know, you don't get signals in the buildings. It's very difficult for our buildings to, um, you know, the, the legacy cost of trying to convert them just to be able to monitor energy consumption, all those other things. You have to be digital and you have to be, um, everything can't be piped in a conduit, it's just very expensive. But I think there are gonna be, you know, increasing classes of service, maybe Comcast might be among one of them, where um, if you're, say you're a 5,000 square foot law firm, I mean, and, and the typical tenant in downtown Chicago, they're not that big, you got service firms, lawyers, accountants, whatever, you get two, three, four partners, whatever, you know, they've got their staff of accountants keeping track of all their receivables and all that kind of junk and someone answering phones. Uh, you know, the way people use the office can be transformed if you are able to have somebody providing services to the tenant that give them some sort of an application 
that enables them to operate their business almost like a QuickBooks and helps them kind of track their clients. Maybe they need fewer employees or maybe centralized kind of call center type specialized services for re you know, responding to issues that come in. I think that's the kind of thing that we're seeing in some of the, like the WeWorks type um, users or you know, the Regis is kind of maybe catching on to this sort of thing where those users go in there and they, they also get a bundle of services that help them with their business. And I don't think that's something that has taken on, but I think will pick up as we um, respond to those needs of our tenants in the building. We'll, yeah, we'll learn from them. Yes, and you have all different types of users and, yeah. and, and different generations that are, that are in the workforce that you have to try to adapt to. And I think everything's going to be done on, on an iPhone or, or some type of, of, uh, of smart device, um, whether it, the technology is, is really there now with you don't even need the badge anymore. You can, you can go in and, and through Bluetooth technology get into your space by using your iPhone. You know? So you have to be able to... Uh, to to know all of the, what's available to you and to implement it. Well, think of it in terms of, we have a lot of uh, you know, uh, contractors and suppliers out here. I mean, my dream is when, um, instead of having to put the little server room and you're in an office and everyone's always irritated because they got to call Mike, the IT guy, to help them out with this and that, I think it's conceivable and we'll see it sometime in the near future where we'll turn over office space, we'll give the tenants a, a pad. Yeah. They don't need any of that stuff. None of the stuff is piped in. They're ready to go plug and play, and you have you know um, redundant you know services in the basement or wherever else that you know you're kind of you know providing these services, and tenants won't have to have all their own individual little systems. Yeah. I think you know for um, you know food is a is not a technology company. We're not a software platform. We're technology enabled. We're asset light. I mean. Our, our food is actually being made in the kitchen. It's actually being transported to a location and served to people. So, you know what, we, f we feel there's still a really big opportunity in that when I think about real estate, um, there's still, it's, an, it's a physical place. There's people coming there every single day. And so where we see for, from our perspective, from a technology standpoint, is really um, aggregating all the services that you're providing. And, and, you know, mobile does seem to be the direction of the future. And so, you know, providing a, a system that's open and allows the, the amenities and services you're providing to API into it and, and, and you know, for your tenants to have, you know, a one-stop shop app that shows all the different things that are going on, all the different things that, you know, um, you're providing. But at the end of the day, so many of the things you're going to be providing are still in many ways tangible services as opposed to, you know, um, you know, some of the cloud-based stuff. So I think, you know, that's where, that, that'd be it from our perspective, you know, how we see ourselves fitting into all that. You know, technology, I mean, our own personal lives have just transformed in the last, you know, four or five years. We're not doing any of this stuff in real estate. But I think, it, you know, to Alex's point, I think we're going to learn, we're going to be able to adapt to different technologies and how users interface with their buildings and use services. None of that's really happening yet, and a lot of people are trying to get there. Um, but it's got to be got to add a value, it's got to be intuitive, it's got to be easy, and there are so many service providers, providers that recognize the opportunity, but they're not making the connection and making it easy for the user or, uh, or the experience. And it's expensive. And it's expensive. They expect landlords to pay for right. this stuff, and they never will. Yeah. 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 Yoga's sort of in the same boat as food. In order for yoga and meditation to work, you actually have to do it, you know? and you have to practice it consistently. Uh, so I see a lot of value in having some sort of app or some sort of home where tenants can go and understand what 
opportunities are available when, so that it's very simple. They know when and where, how long, and exactly what to expect. Video conferencing is also really helpful when you want to pipe in other offices or have programs that are um, a little bit further reaching. And um, ultimately, I really do believe that the meditation practices that we start to implement into companies, it helps us to be more productive and ultimately use our technology better. So we can become smarter about how we're interacting with technology and interacting with our smartphones. So instead of you know, just constantly being glued to this thing, we can begin to become more mindful so that we can use technology to actually truly improve our lives instead of have it serve as a distraction. And one last question for you. Have you guys, for both of you, have you seen the demand increase since you've obviously, you know, started to you know, layer those, those services out in the respective, you know, for your clients? Yeah, I definitely have. You know, the more, the more people begin to learn about yoga and meditation and the benefits, I think for sure. And I think more importantly, people are becoming very curious about meditation. Yoga, like most, most people, who practices yoga here? Anybody? Right, so a good, good handful of us. But meditation is kind of, of like, out there. <laughs> yeah, I got Potential my eye on you guys. But meditation, people are very curious about it. It's kind of this like mystical thing, and it's not really, you know, it's just paying attention to what you're doing. Really, is all it is. But I find that the curiosity of meditation has increased significantly. Yeah. Well, I think I'm going to open it up to the the crowd for for kind of a Q and A for the panel. Um, so with that, I think Rob's got the. Microphone? Yeah, thanks, Joel. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, we're getting some great questions on I.O. Uh, one of the questions that's trending is, is this amenities craze unique to Chicago? The, the questioner goes on to say, I, I'm not seeing this in New York City. And before I turn it over, I might just add a personal perspective where Oracle is currently building a, uh, developing a campus down in Austin, Texas. And as part of that, we've done some tours of other campuses in Austin and San Antonio and other places, and we're definitely seeing these amenities. Uh, people want areas to park a food truck, they want uh, guest kitchens, they want a coffee bar in the workspace, and I don't mean a coffee station, I mean a coffee bar that's operated by Starbucks or somebody like that. So anyway, I'll turn it back to the panel. I know this morning we had a board meeting at BOMA and we were talking about trying to figure out, you know, what our next research thing should be. and. We're talking about amenities and different stuff, and pretty much everyone's head was going around that over the Chicago is over the top with amenities. That you know it is a kind of you know something that is a thing that's going on in this market. I'm sure it's going on in some other markets, um, but it's just like we tend to overclean our buildings. You know, you go to New York, the building's dirty. Here, you, you know, you can eat off the floors. But I mean, there's just something about Chicago. There, you know, from, from our perspective, you know, we're in. Uh, Eight major cities in the in the country, and and in the process of expanding to maybe ten or twelve more. But the um, the demand has been, you know, in our from our perspective, pretty uniform. You know, to be honest, from from market to market. Interestingly enough, with kind of the exception of of, of New York on the building side, so really high demand on the client side and taking over some very small spaces uh, to provide service. But I think the the commercial real estate landscape there is a little bit different um, than what we've seen, whether it's in Philly or Boston or Chicago or, or LA. So um, New York's been seemingly a little bit different for us, uh, but the demand overall uh, has been a little bit uniform. I, I, would, I would say that Chicago seems to be very competitive right now. Uh, San Francisco is uh, la-la land, and uh, you know, then everybody else is kind of you know, somewhere, somewhere underneath that. 
I think some of the secondary, right. we have some secondary market buildings and they just have the basic uh, you know, fitness, food service and, and conference rooms. Hey, Rob, good. I'll say one thing real quick too. So, you know, we did a, a, a recent headquarters build out in London and, you know, everyone from the U.S. goes to London. Everyone knows that, you know, space just like uh, in, uh, in New York is, uh, you know, it's a premium and they don't have a lot of private offices. So the people that visit those sites, they go back, they come, they go, we want the broker's lounge in our space. We want it, you know, so we're, we keep saying, if you want the broker's lounge, you got to pull everyone out of offices. So it's, again, finding that balance. But I'll say that when we do, with our new corporate headquarters, we are implementing similar to what you said, Rob, about the, we want employee engagement, we want the experience, and you know, you can go down to the commons and you could go, go to the coffee bar, drop your laptop off at the Genius Bar, and then have a meeting or a quick, quick chat with one of your colleagues. And I know, I know once we probably move, I'll always be in the commons because I just, you know, probably don't want to be around the open area and you kind of can get your work done in an environment that suits you and, and your team. Great, great, good. Another question, this one is pretty much focused at Katie and Alex. But uh, do companies understand the productivity benefits of meditation and food on site? We talked about this a bit last night about the value proposition. Yeah, we, it's, you know, on the, on the corporate side, we deal with facilities and, and HR and, and, you know, companies' cultures and what they're looking for, you know, vary. So um, we find that everybody really does get the productivity uh, benefit, especially when you think about our, our service. Some kind of gloss over it. They're like, "That's great. It's a you know, it's a nice convenience." It would be the word they would use. And you think about trading firms and and other firms that you know, whether they're free food programs or some kind of subsidized option. I mean, they're really getting down to dollars and cents. So um, we've done some pretty detailed ROI studies for some of our companies, and you know, what is you know, meaningful savings you know, likely for them uh, because of saving every one of their employees eight more minutes. Uh, every day, but th that varies, you know, on, on the spectrum for us, but everybody seems to get that part. Yeah, for sure. Us as well. Um, our programs, we've specifically stripped out unnecessary things like needing to change clothes or needing to take showers to really maximize the work that we do. Um, and also, people are really starting to understand and actually truly feel in their own bodies and in their own minds the cumulative effect of a meditation practice, and that increases productivity. We're training our mind how to focus, and we're training our mind how to be very, very present, which makes you more productive. Great. Next question, and Susan, you knew I was going to ask this oh, one no. before we were done today. But, uh, you know, we talk about amenities, um, tenants demanding amenities, but they're also demanding other things like sustainability. So, Susan, tell us about your worms. <laughs> yes, I have worms. Um, we have, uh, in one of our mechanical rooms, almost 40,000 uh, red worms, and they uh, compost 5,200 pounds of food uh, a year. Uh, so we take food from our, 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 our cafe, and they, they like paper, they love egg cartons, and uh, then we use the compost on our landscaping. So we were the first commercial uh, worm composting <laughs> facility, <laughs> I'm proud to say, in Chicago. Very cool. Yeah. I'm sorry? Is it It's not a charge to the tenants, no, at all. It's, yeah, I mean, we bought the worm. We bought the worms and then they reproduce and they're, but they stop. They're not like humans. They stop when they're, you know, their, their environment is, is at capacity. <laughs> <laughs> smarter than us. Yes. Wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who knew? <laughs>
Okay, so we're talking a lot about amenities in the workplace. One of the questions is, so how do we align this with the reality that so many people now are working from home? take that. We, we've started, um, that was a big problem for us. Uh, a lot of people not only work from home at our companies, but a lot of people also travel all the time. Right. So we specifically created an, a program, basically a training program, where it's one lesson once a week for 30 minutes that you can call into via conference call, you can call it, you can connect to via video chat, or you can actually be present in the office. Um, and then that lesson is where we almost give little mini homework assignments to people. So they start to incorporate these little teachings into their daily lives, both at work and at home, in the airplane, you know, on the bus, wherever, whatever it is that they are. And that's been really fun. It's been fun for people to start to take this stuff outside of work because it certainly is appropriate for all areas of your life. Yeah, I think, I think from, oh, we're wrapping up, or I think from our perspective, um, you know, you talk about that, I think actually both of us, we were talking about this last night and, and uh, Rick earlier, um, this trend of, you know, hoteling or people working from home, you know, what it ultimately means is so many of the tenants have a smaller audience or a smaller footprint in the buildings, um, so they have less flexibility to build a big cafe or a big, you know, all the different big services that they might have uh, had before, the subsidies start to get uh, a little bit overwhelming. So I think buildings are gonna have to play a bigger and bigger role in aggregating up the, the spend to, to help uh, reduce the, some of the premiums of providing some of these amenities in the food space. You know, for us specifically, um, you know, we see so many more buildings that the anchor tenants have 100 to 200 employees and, and that can't, our program can't be sustained on that. So, you know, you, you ultimately have to provide it as a building uh, for those three or four couple hundred person tenants, you're kind of aggregating the amenity because they don't have that same footprint. We're going through that right now. Deloitte's a big partner of ours, and um, you know they're you know continuing to reduce their footprint and and see how we can you know kind of help them with that. Okay, thanks. I want to make sure we're not missing any questions that people in the audience might have. I don't see any hands right now, but uh, so Bob, uh, who who's running the show here? Are are you reacting to tenant demands, or are you taking the lead in developing these amenities? Um, well, I think it's you know kind of collaboration. You get ideas, but it's it's really got to come from um, um, you know the creativity of the vendors and business partners that we that we work with in the industry. Um, you know, they kind of tune in to you know just understanding what is our you know, mission, how do we do our business and how can they provide a good or a service that benefits, you know, helps us to achieve our goal, but in a way that helps them become more successful as well. I mean, that's the equation. I would say, you know, we hadn't touched on it before, but uh, with all these big amenities, uh, there is a trend toward uh, including amenity charges in leases so that, you know, you take your conference center, your health club or whatever, and you, uh, you know, you know, recognize the value of that as leasable area and, you know, reduce any, net any income you get against it, and you include it in your recoverable expenses, and that's becoming very commonplace. Thank you. Katie, uh, so are you, your clients, your yoga clients, meditation clients, are they people that are already doing it and they're now doing it at the office because it's convenient, or are you bringing in new people? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, 
usually it's a, a really great mix. Um, we get a lot of people who already do yoga. They love it and they like to be able to do it at work because it makes them feel good. Um, but my favorite clients are the ones that have never set foot in a yoga studio and otherwise truly might be intimidated uh, by going to something like a yoga studio. So we're not asking people to walk around barefoot. We're not burning incense. You know, people are in a conference room. They're in their business clothes. They're with their peers. And they're truly in a culture that they recognize and feel comfortable in. Um, so you know, my favorite clients are the, the people that, that take a risk and come on out. And we've had, we've had some great success stories of people turning into some great yogis through these programs. So, uh, Bob, any comment on uh, destination elevators? Do they really work? Destination what? Elevators. Destination dispatch. You know, <laughs> I you know I just don't have enough experience with that to reply. I, I you know I don't think it is noticeably different from users in in the buildings I've seen them in. Well, the, the Willis Tower, where Oracle has its offices, is was recently purchased by Blackstone, and they're uh, Blackstone's putting quite a bit of money into the building, several hundred million dollars. A lot of it adding retail, but they're also doing some tenant amenities. And one of the things is they're equipping all of the ele elevators with, I'll call it smart technology. So you program it on your phone. As you're approaching the elevator, you hit a button. The elevator's waiting for you. It tells you exactly which car to go to. Uh, once you get on the elevator, it, uh, you have to do a transfer, Willis Tower and it tells you exactly which car to go to. And they predict that it's gonna cut their elevator time in half. Oh. You know, the jury's still out as yeah. far as I'm and, concerned. And, and, and I think that's good for tenants, but I'm not sure about the visitors. You know, it might be learning curve. Okay, very good, very good. Well, if there's no other questions, I'll turn it back to you, uh, Joel, to, to bring it on home. Yeah, so, uh, you know, obviously there's, I think we're, I think Bob put it, you know, best earlier about how we're in this, like, kind of flux period of f figuring out what the demand is, you know, with the amenity base and kind of finding what that balance is. And I think we're we're all living in, li living in it together because, you know, as I started it off, you know, my goal is to cut costs, but, you know, I also want to appease my, my end user um, who wants these amenities. And, you know, I think there's a lot of different, uh, you know, areas that we're all, that, real estate's evolving into a, a, a very unique area because with the amenities that you know clients want, there is a lot more workplace flexibility. We're, we're doing a little bit of a, of a uh, you know, um, no seat to name kind of concept because more people are working remotely and I think you know, um, it's, it's, an, it's an interesting time. We'll see if we're at the peak of it and then if we kind of find a balance of you know, what, what, is the, what is the right answer. Sounds like we, we still haven't figured it out though since yeah. <laughs> you've been uh, doing this for, what, 35 years, so. We talked about the same thing 35 years ago. <laughs> so with that, were you say something, Susan? Say, at the yeah. end of the day, it's all about cost. How much is it costing the tenants? How much are the owners willing to spend? And because that's all part of the, comp the competitive nature of real estate as well. Okay, any other final comments? Otherwise, I, if you guys have any other final comments, uh, not, I, I appreciate you guys taking the time and uh, appreciate the, uh, the conversation we had today. Great. Oh, uh, please uh, fill out your surveys, and thank you very much to our panel.